0: It's daily thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric it's, it's quite the title for a morning that is rather cold, uh, The Fellowship of the Burning Heart. Uh, so we're starting a little late today, not because I was delayed in my morning routine but because uh, it took forever to get here and uh, you know had one of those I have this huge vehicle right now that I'm driving and it's just covered with snow this morning so it was quite the uh, process uh, getting here so sorry about that Uh, but uh, we will warm up uh, to the fires of this message I'm sure Uh, the fellowship of the burning heart let's just pray that God uh, prepares our heart and warms our hearts uh, for such a message as this father Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you have revealed yourself to each of us in this room. Lord, I, I just say thank you for your presence this morning, and I just ask that you would invite us into a deeper place, that we would freshly remember that we are to boldly enter the throne room of grace. That We are not to be shy, but because of the shed blood of Jesus, we have access into the burning heart of God. Lord, we trust you and love you. Okay, well, this uh, is one of my favorite phrases in Christian history, and it was interesting because I was trying to pick a name for this message, which is, it's unusual, this message is, and uh, it's not unusual if you've hung out here a long time, but it's uh, it's one of those messages that uh, if you're in your right mind, you usually wouldn't give. You wouldn't meditate on such things, and yet... As Christians, we're, according to the world, we're not in our right minds. We're fools. And so this is the type of thing we focus on, uh, which this is a creative title to cover a message on persecution and suffering and how we appropriate it. But first time I heard this phrase was A.W. Tozier, and he uses it a lot. But he borrowed it from ancient history, which is just the, the idea of those that gather that are so passionate about Jesus that they could care less about their lives. Uh, They could care less about their own resource, uh, their own fame, their own renown. They care about Jesus. And so they're known as the fellowship of the burning heart. And so from a young age, I wanted to be a part of this fellowship. didn't know if it had some formal uh, membership uh, to it, but I wanted to be a part of that group. And so the phrase has always been a very endearing one to me. And so I have a very positive perspective on it. Acts 5. When they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, I'm not sure how you first interacted with scriptures like this, but I remember really wondering what sort of people these apostles were, that they could go through that and then rejoice. Because even when I was reading it, I was disturbed. And so that sort of response was very different than my own. And when I was young, I didn't quite understand this new birth, the fact that when you come to Christ, it actually changes your behavior. It changes your feelings. It changes your thinking patterns. I didn't quite understand that. And so in a sense, I tried to correct my own thinking patterns, that I needed to think high thoughts about suffering, for the name of Jesus, but it's hard, it really is. In the human side, we are very frail and self-centered and self-preserving. And so everything about what we're gonna read in the book of Acts goes against the makeup of the first man. And so unless you are born again, you really can't live this out. It is an otherworldly, foolish form of living. Acts 16 he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Whatever that is, if we could bottle it up and say, what form of Christianity do you want? I'd say those first two uh, verses in Acts would enunciate it for me. I want that. I, w- I want that. Now, if you were to follow up with, do you want the suffering that came with it? No. No but I want that. (laughs) In other words, I'm attracted to this behavior that is super triumphant. And what I've struggled with is accepting the fact that what brings out that super triumphant aroma of God is difficulty. And, you know, if you were here yesterday morning, you heard the the conversation on thorns. Did you guys like my title yesterday? I still think that was just a great title, thorn again. Uh, And, what we want to be is in this fellowship of the burning heart it's just what binds us together without even comparing notes it's like we all could say yeah i want that too now we're a little scared of the sufferings of the difficulties but we want the triumph and what i have had to land on is the fact that god's triumph comes when we just yield ourselves to him when we allow him to carry us through these things he fills uh, our prison cells with song. This is quite the quote, guys, uh, from Christian history, St. Francis Xavier. There is no better rest in this restless world than to face imminent peril of death solely for the love and service of God our Lord. Now I'm gonna read that again just because it's so preposterous to our human brain. There is no better rest in this restless world than to face imminent peril of death solely for the love and service of God our Lord. Richard Wormbrandt, again, one of my favorite quotes. Dreams are so much more beautiful in prison. <laughs> this is, when, when Richard Wurmbrandt gets out of prison, he shocks everyone with his smile, with his laughter. Now, he was gaunt, his body's racked with pain. He came and wore shoes because the bottom of his feet were tortured for so long. And yet... When he's asked about the time, he smiles, and the the recorded responses from Christians throughout history in regards to their sufferings, like if you've ever heard about the man that spent I don't know how many years it was in solitary confinement and lost his eyesight because he was in pitch black for so long, and when he's asked what it was like, his face glows and he says it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. It's like what kind of perspective is that? You were suffering. But in that suffering comes a closeness that cannot be found any other way. And so if I were to lay out for you a life without suffering, but without that intimate closeness, and a life with suffering, but with that sort of transcendent closeness, which one are you picking? Isn't that an interesting tension? It's like, I don't know. I, let me think about this. No, you need to make a decision right now. You see, this is a hard one for our souls to know how to chew on, to know how to absorb, because... Our natural man is self-preserving, and we want ease, we want comfort, especially those of us that are of a North American variety. Notice how I included the Canadians in that one. We're of a North American variety, therefore we crave ease, comfort. But there's something in us as new creatures in Christ that desire Christ more than that. We desire closeness and intimacy with Christ even more than our Creature comforts, though we have this tension and this war inside of us when Eric brings that up. The significance of Timmy and the video of the old Romanian. So I've had a, a history with Romania. It's not in depth, but it's, it's there. And it was interesting because this last year, uh, the movie Tortured for Christ came out. I don't know, maybe that was two years ago, but the movie Tortured for Christ came out, which was. Very intriguing to me because Richard Wormbrandt and Sabina Wormbrandt have had a huge impact on Leslie's and my ministry. And uh, so, in going to see that, that was, that was rich for my soul. Uh, and so, when I was at the Christian Worldview Film Festival in March, the director for that was there. And so, he was doing interviews, and one, one guy came up and said, Yeah, uh, John Groders would like to interview you. And so I was thinking, who's John Groters? And then I found out who John Groters was. I yeah, I'd love to talk with him. So, I mean, I talked with him about the movie. He wanted to talk with me about other things. I wanted to talk with him about Tortured for Christ. And so it, once he found out about my interest in Tortured for Christ and how impacting that was upon my life and my passion for Richard Wormbrand, he gave me this other manuscript that he's uh, worked on and it's done and it's called uh, Richard and Sabina, The Nazi Years. And it's the prequel to Tortured for Christ. And so he said, why don't you read this and give me your feedback? So I like took that treasure, by the way. I mean, that, that's, and I, it didn't take me long to finish it. It is, it, it's even better than Tortured for Christ. It is so powerful. And what's interesting is, here I am, a student of Richard Wormbrand. I mean, I know a lot about Richard Wormbrand, And I didn't know this. This is before the communist uh, takeover of Romania. Hitler was over Romania. So this is World War II. So you have Hitler and the Nazis moving and taking territory, and then you have Stalin coming back and taking it back all the way to Berlin. And uh, so it's just very interesting thinking about Richard Wurmbrandt as a Jew under Hitler. And that's what you have in this book. And so we think the sufferings of Richard Wormer and Sabina start with the communist takeover of Stalin, when in actuality, it was under Hitler. And so it's a profound work. It goes through how he comes to Christ. And he was like a uh, a well-to-do, sort of, it would be the yuppie of our age and in, in generation. He was the cool guy, a well-spoken, brilliant man, and who mocked uh, Jesus Christ. He was an atheist. And so to see the conversion of Richard Wormbrandt, not just to become a Christian, but to become one of the greatest examples of Christianity that I've ever witnessed, what happened? And that's what that manuscript is about. Well, technically, it's like a movie script. And so uh, I'm going to I lent it out to someone at Ellerslie. Uh, Sarah, do you know where it is right now? It's at Sarah's house. What in the world? So we need to uh, figure out a way to get that from Sarah uh, eventually into here, and then maybe we could like read it or something together. I'll have to get uh, John Groder's uh, approval for that, but uh, it'd be good. I don't know if it'll be uh, on the podcast. So for all of you that are streaming or on the podcast, you probably need to come through a semester at Ellerslie to get something like that. That's bonus stuff. But uh, my sister was moved by some 60 Minutes uh, documentary on orphans in Romania. And so she went over to Romania uh, to help in orphanages. This is way back in the early 90s. And uh, so I remember thinking, I don't even know what Romania is. I mean, where is that? What's going on here? And so then God gets a hold of my life. And it was pretty amazing. But my sister was headed back to Romania. And my brother and I through a series of bizarre events, end up on our way to Bulgaria on the same flight with my sister. I mean, this is just extraordinary. On the same flight with my sister, and she's, we're all headed into Timisoara, Romania, which is where the revolution was uh, in, in Romania. I think it was 1989, somewhere right in that time period. And so that whole thing was such a f- fingerprint of God's situation in my life to just see God... Take my family. My sister's the one that prayed for me every day for years that I would somehow see the reality of Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. I was a Christian. I'm fine. I'm fine. Why do you keep praying for me? I don't need prayer. <laughs> my sister was just sort of like, oh boy, the toughest nuts to crack are sometimes in your own home. Uh, and so in that process, flying into Timmy my, one of my depths of connections with uh, Richard Wormbrand is because I flew into Timisoara and I flew into Bucharest, because when we went to Bucharest. And this is right back uh, when the communist regime was just melting down. In fact, that was the reason we were going to Bulgaria, is because communism had just basically lost its grip, and we were like the first uh, people from outside the country, or at least English-speaking, that had like arrived in there. And uh, so it was a profound thing to fly into timishwara and to realize this is where the revolution had taken place and there was such a dense heaviness of spiritual oppression over that place i don't know if you guys are sensitive when you like drive into a city or whatever and you can just sort of feel something i've always been that way i mean if i if i just go from windsor to fort collins i could tell you the difference when especially when i'm in old town fort collins old town fort collins it's a very unique feel spiritually for my soul and so when bless you uh so it's interesting because when leslie and i are going on a date she'll be like why don't we go to old town this is a great uh restaurant and i'm thinking if i'm going to go to old town i want to go to share the gospel (laughs) i don't want to go have a date because i don't i mean it's spiritually abrasive to me it's weird and so when i flew into timishwara wow the oppression was so amazing we got off the uh the plane and these men are holding machine guns uh, and it's a little different than what we experience when we walk off like dead serious, just sort of staring. And I remember it was either me or one of our troop got, that got locked into the bathroom uh, at Tumishwara Airport. <laughs> so I have these certain memories that are like uh, horrifying, but I can't remember, it's weird, because if you said, how come you don't know if it was you or someone else? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I remember it was a terrifying thing. Like one of our people, or me, was like locked there and we couldn't get out. So it's weird that I can't remember if it was me or not. But, uh, but then we flew into Bucharest. And Bucharest, I mean, it was all these shanties. You had this huge, Chichescu, Nikolai Ceausescu had this palace. And then it was all these like shanties, like just the worst, most poverty-ridden uh, villages and just driving through and seeing the contrast between what communism had done to just drain the people of all their resource and to leave them with nothing but these little uh, shacks. It was sort of like if you've ever gone to Juarez, Mexico or something. It was so odd to, to behold. And so out of this flows this respect for the church in, in Romania. And my brother comes over when I was, um was like a year or two later he he shows up with this video it's this old video cassette and it was just terrible quality and if you were to judge this video by its cover it was just like handwritten something on it someone had copied a copy of a copy and so if you judged it on its quality you know you would have thrown it out but my brother says you need to see this and it was the beginnings of something Maybe maybe not the beginnings, but it was right in the beginning of something that is going to match with what I'm talking about here, which is my craving for the fellowship of the burning heart. And Richard Wormbrandt maybe is one of the key sponsors in the very beginning. When I saw this video, he was the one on it, and he was just this uh, this old Romanian uh, man that gets up onto the stage. And again, it was so the the quality was just terrible and it's like flickering and sideways and uh and he gets up and he does, he's not wearing any shoes because he can't and he he sits he has to sit down as he talks and i don't think well i could just say it this way i had never in my life seen someone that so reminded me of jesus he was i the best way i've described it is liquid love it was just he was mercy and love, and when he would talk about the communists, he loved them. When he talked about Nikolai Ceausescu, who had destroyed their nation, he he pled. He actually, when the nation wanted to kill Nikolai Ceausescu, I mean, in the most grotesque fashion for what he had done to them once they captured him in the revolution, he pled with the people, even when he was in prison, that uh, they would spare him and show him mercy. He's merely just a little child that never had love. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the way that, He even approached his greatest enemies, the ones who caused him such uh, horrible conditions. And I remember just thinking, I want what that man has. Whatever Richard Wormbrand has, Lord, I want it. And I just remember God's response back to me, if I could put it in words, would be, Eric, are you willing to go through what he went through to get it? God, is there any way to get what he has without going through that? And if I could say it, in a nutshell for all of us, No, there is one way to get that type of depth, that kind of closeness with Jesus, that kind of development into a flow-through channel of his love and mercy, and that is to go through difficulty. That is God's way of preparing the vessel, of getting us out of the way so that he can flow through us. So I'm gonna share, these are very story, uh, I said story, these are very short stories, and uh, there are five remarkable stories of suffering and I want to say, I could have gotten all of these from Richard Wormbrandt. okay? I wouldn't doubt it, because Richard Wormbrandt is a student of suffering and persecution. And so, it's very likely, I know at least one of these, if not more of these, came from his book, uh, If That Were Christ, Would You Give Him Your Blanket, which is a very long title. But uh, it's it's a great uh, collection. And so, I mean, they could have all come from that. But I here's just some stories that I picked out for us this morning that... Uh, will just sort of say it. They'll just sort of enunciate what I'm trying to talk about. It's like, yeah, I want to be a part of the fellowship of the burning heart. I want to be like those people. So story number one, would you give him your blanket? Two Chinese Christians shivered with cold in a cell. Each had a thin blanket. One of the Christians looked to the other and saw how he trembled. The thought came to him, if that were Christ, would you give him your blanket? Of course he would. Immediately he spread the blanket over his brother. Now, on a cold day like this, that's a whole greater depth of meaning. Because when, if, it's, if you're in a cold prison cell and all you have is a thin blanket, and you have that thought, if that were Christ sitting next to me, would I give him my blanket? It's Christ. Jesus Christ is there and he's cold. What would you do? And it's interesting because this man's reasoning is so simple. It is so pure. It is so childlike. Of course I would. That's Jesus. And so without hesitation, he removes his thin layer of warmth to suffer at even a greater degree so that he could cause less suffering to the one next to him. And I tell you what, whatever that behavior is, it's not normal, it's not natural, but I want it. Story number two, Mommy, What Should I Do? Reverend Fang Cheng is in jail. He has been tortured, but has not betrayed the brethren. One day he is brought again before the examining officer. He sees in a corner of the room a heap of rags and hears a rattling of chains. The image becomes clearer. It is his mother, but she did not have white hair before. Now she has. The color of her face is like ashes. You can see that she too has passed through heavy ordeals. The communist asked Cheng, I have heard that you Christians have ten commandments allegedly given by God, which you strive to fulfill. I would be interested to know them. Would you be so kind as to recite the commandments? Cheng is in a terrible state of heart, but still such an opportunity to acquaint a disciple of Mao with God's law must not be neglected. He begins to enumerate the commandments until he arrives at honor father and mother. Here he is interrupted, The communist tells him, Cheng, I wish to give you the opportunity to honor your mother. Here she is in suffering, in chains. Tell us what you know about your brethren in faith and I promise that tonight you and your mother will be free. You will be able to give her care and honor. Let me see now whether you really believe in God and wish to fulfill his commandment. It is not an easy decision to make. Cheng turns to his mother. Mommy, what shall I do? The mother answers, I have taught you from childhood to love Christ and his holy church. Don't mind my suffering. Seek to remain faithful to the Savior and his little brethren. If you betray, you are no more my son. This was the last time that Feng Cheng saw his mother. The probability is that she died under torture. Whew. That's a doozy. And isn't it interesting, one of the reasons I've always sort of gravitated towards these types of things is because I want to exercise whatever unseen muscle that is in my soul that needs to be readied, that needs to be prepared for hard decisions. If you don't exercise that ahead of time, it's sort of like not being in shape and suddenly having a marathon to run. It's like, how do you prepare for a marathon? Well, with a lot of smaller runs. And that's exactly how God prepares us for difficulty with a lot of smaller difficulties. And so situations like this are extreme. I I don't even like thinking about it. At the same time, I do. I want to exercise that dimension. I want the Holy Spirit to exercise that dimension in me. Story number three, would you be ready to return to prison? A Christian has been released from prison. He is a farmer. He goes into the fields and prays. God, make me perfect. An inner voice answers, would you be ready to return to prison in order to become perfect? He shrinks back. He has suffered so much. He replies, anything else, God? Only not this. The inner voice says, then do not ask to be perfect. A long inner struggle follows. In the end, the Christian yields. Make me perfect at whatever cost, he prays. Soon he is rearrested and put in solitary confinement. He passes a long term there, beatings, hunger, lack of sun, no reading material. His only pastime is to communicate by Morse code through the wall with his fellow prisoners. One day he has near him a new prisoner. He asks him his name. It is the same as his own. It is his son. Encouraged by the heroic example of the father, the son has also walked the way of the cross and has also arrived in jail. The father thanks God for the privilege given him to have a confessor of the faith as a son. A remarkable step on the way to perfection. What is this? An occurrence in the life of the underground church is reported in Vesnik Spazinia, the Herald of Salvation, the secret magazine of the Russian Baptists. (laughs) A secret magazine. Doesn't it sound fun to have a secret magazine? Story number four, The Dirty Religious Preachers. A Moscow publishing house recently published a book by a communist, A. Shamaro called irreconcilability. It thunders against the Christians, but at the same time, it describes them. So listen to this description of the Christians. It's very interesting. The preachers, the active bearers of religion in all its forms, in churches or sects, don't laugh and don't make jokes. They act. Isn't that an incredible statement? So this is the communists that are watching these Christians. These Christians, they act. They work day and night. They preach everywhere, at bus stations and in hospital wards. They seek new men for the parishes or sectarian congregations. They seek them everywhere. They would stop on the streets, unknown men who they saw to have a sad face. Day and night, they seek the sheep that have gone astray. Faith without works is dead, they say. And the first work pleasant to God and which honors him, they consider to be the fishing of men the attraction of new adherents in church parishes and sectarian groups. If the dirty religious preachers and recruiters endeavor not to miss any occasion to fish a soul among those with whom they work, with whom they live in the same town or village, with whom they meet on the street, they surely do everything to fill with religious faith the heads of their children and the children belonging to relatives and acquaintances. Those dirty religious preachers. Isn't that amazing? I'm concerned that that doesn't necessarily sound like us. (laughs) What an amazing statement that if you were to observe the Christians in these communist countries where you are beaten and tortured if you do this, they do it. And yet in a country where we have freedom and, oh yeah, we might be made fun of, we might be spat at, we might be laughed at, we don't. This is the fellowship of the burning heart. This is this is what we crave. We really do. We as Christians long for this, but there's a cross between us and this. It's like, well, are you willing to pick that up? Well, God, is there another way? Is there another way to resurrection life but through that cross? No. The way to resurrection life is through that cross. We want the fullness of the power of the Spirit in our life, but we don't want the splinters to get there. And yet, if we would be willing to pick up our cross and follow, which by the way, just as a reminder for all of you that may have forgotten, a cross is an execution device, which means when you pick it up, you know you're not coming back. You know that you're saying goodbye to all you know and love. When you pick up a cross, you're a dead man. And so when you're picking up a cross, just imagine what that would have sounded like in Jesus' day. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up a cross? What's he talking about? How could it pick up your electric chair, pick up your uh, hangman's noose? I said, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I pick up that? That's, That's terrible. That's evil. And yet, are you willing to go in the direction that would cause the revilement of the generation in which you live, that would cause you to lose house and home, lose popularity, lose reputation, so that you could follow Jesus? And finally, story number five, Frozen for Him. It's interesting because my brother and I had had this story even before this version of it. uh, And I don't remember how we got it, where it came from. Maybe it was like from Fox's Book of Martyrs or something. But we were both in, we were in Romania together, then we were in Bulgaria together. And we came back and he felt like he was called to go back into the public schools to, and it was like, the hardest public school. For those of you that are from Colorado, you'd know it, but it was Cherry Creek High School, which at the time was, I think, considered the second snobbiest school in the nation behind Beverly Hills High. Uh, and so, my brother uh, felt like he was supposed to go in there and witness for Jesus, which is, that's like a, <laughs> it, was just, it was quite the audacious thing. So we would get up in the morning, so my, you know, I was uh, in, I had already graduated from high school years before, And so, but I was at home praying about my next step. So while I was at home, I was going to help him. So we would drive into uh, school in the mornings and we were trying to figure out, this is like our young version of it, but so we would go to the pole, the flagpole, and before school would start, when everyone was starting to arrive, uh, we would kneel at at the flagpole and pray for the students. Now, whether or not a flagpole has any benefit uh, to the school, that was, of course, just the mindset back then that something about the flagpole was important. And uh, I tell you what, it was so hard. I'm not even in the school. And it was hard to kneel down when I knew that Cherry Creek High students were showing up. And you could say, that's pathetic, Eric. Yeah. Boy, you feel your humanity when you step out for Jesus. It is weird, I mean, I was even thinking it the whole time, I'm kneeling there, it's like, why am I so self-conscious? Why do I care? I'm graduated from high school. It shouldn't even matter. My poor brother had to go in to that high school after it was done. And so when I see these stories, I measure my own soul, and I find myself lacking something. However, if I try and dig down into my own pockets to, to make up the difference, and to say, God, I'm short something. I'm not gonna find it in me. I find it in Christ. You see, the difference that is needed for boldness, even the, the early disciples, the, remember that? The, the apostles in the very first generation, they're feeling like, God, we're, we're weak. We, we need courage and boldness, and the house is shaken in Acts 4, and they are filled with the spirit of boldness. That's what we need. The fellowship of the burning heart lives in that shaken building, that is filled with the Holy Spirit of boldness. We need something more than what we have. And it's okay to acknowledge it. Because I think we look around and we think that some Christians just have natural boldness and then we just somehow got left out uh, when God was you know, dishing out his, his strength. When in actuality, we're all weak when it comes to this. I don't know if I, I've shared with you guys the, the fact that One of our pastors uh, has a uh, a son who is special forces, and he's been in many situations of gunfire uh, with ISIS soldiers. I mean, just extreme stuff. And uh, one of his testimonies, and he has, I mean, such extreme stories that you'd be like, whoa, that is like so scary. And he would tell you, actually, it is far more scary for me to stand up and obey God to share the gospel with someone. And this is someone who's been in trenches, standing up out of a trench to shoot at someone who has live bullets flying at them. It's like, you know what, that ranks up pretty high in my fear category, right? If I could rank something, it's like, I wouldn't want to be there, I wouldn't want to be here. And he would say, and I wouldn't want to have the job of God saying, go speak to that person. And then needing to go up to that person or stand up in front of this crowd and say something. In other words, what you see is that This very behavior that we esteem, but we feel so ill-equipped to match is something that we need God to make up the difference. The fellowship of the burning heart is a fellowship that is found in a specific location. It's in Christ. It is not just a fellowship of people that are bold and courageous or desire to be. It's a people that have humbled themselves and submitted to Jesus and have entered into him, and they declare that without Christ they can do nothing. Story number five, this is quite the story, but the reason I brought that up uh, about my brother is because we read this story, but it was a different version of it, and he wrote a paper. It was like some historic paper that he needed to write for school, and so I worked on it with him, uh, and it wasn't called Frozen for him, but it was this story novelized for his paper that he submitted in school. The teacher was so blown away by this uh, and it had a huge impact on I don't know how many in his school but it was because they had to you know I don't know they shared the stories and everything <laughs> this is a, it was a very gospel centered story well, so you'll you'll hear this here but uh, frozen for him 40 christian officers serving in a roman legion in sebast which is now armenia refused to bring sacrifice to the roman empire emperor as a god they were stripped naked and made to stand on the ice of the river Kisil-Irmak. On the shore, a fire burned. A warm bath was prepared for those who would recant. Every hour, they were asked if they were ready to renounce their faith, in which case their life would be spared. I, you know, when it's, when it's cold out and you're stuck on ice naked, you got a dignity issue going on and you got a cold issue going on, and can you imagine they have a warm bath uh, on the, the shore? And there's 40 of these guys that would not bend their knee. Uh, In which case, their life would be spared. In the end, one denied the Savior. So out of 40, 39 did not deny. At that moment, the Roman centurion who watched the execution saw 40 angels with 40 crowns descending from heaven to crown the martyrs. But one of the angels found no head on which to put the crown. So the would-be, martyr had, the would-be martyr had become a renegade. So the centurion stripped himself of his clothes and crying, Angel, I come, ran to the ice. He died, as did the others, for the glory of the Savior. So, you know, when I put myself, even when my brother and I were working on that story, I was really struggling with what I was going to do in this story. I mean, I knew what I should do. We all know what we should do. We want to stay on the ice, Everything in us in the human side is frail and vulnerable, and there's a warm bath over there. And isn't that the very juxtaposition we find ourselves in life? There's a warm bath on the shoreline of the world, and it says, hey, it's open for you. You ready to come on over? And Jesus says, are you with me? What does it mean to be with you, Lord, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow me? Or to die daily, however you want to say it. In other words, to choose the ice every day. And for us, it's sometimes every moment of every day. Could you imagine if you were on that ice, the chill, and to know, I mean, what you have is the devil's reasoning that begins to creep in. Come on, I'll just deny today, but then tomorrow I'll seek forgiveness. It's the, it's the classic uh, reasoning that we try and come up with. However, to stand and to persevere in our faith is the chief attribute of what God is wanting to grow us up unto. That we do not waver as a wave of the sea, but that we stand firm even in the hardest, harshest, most difficult of circumstances. We are a soft church, but I desire us to crave to be accepted in the fellowship of the burning heart. It's like I want membership there. I want that. I I want to be prepared as so many Christians throughout history have been prepared to not deny Christ and to not expose my fellow Christians. That's one of the highest virtues in the underground church in China is to not deny Christ and to not betray like Judas, the believers. Which is interesting because I don't even think most of us have ever thought about it. It's like, well, you know, what's the big deal? We're all very public here in America. But in an underground church situation, it's the difference of life and death. When you expose a fellow Christian, you're taking them from their family, you're taking them from the the body, you're taking them from being a witness in the culture the moment you do it. And so, at the highest levels of virtue, it's to stand firm and faithful unto the end for Christ and for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that interesting? It's like a value system that we don't even ponder. And yet, to them, that's like, The essence of what God is building in them is to be able to stand until the end, until their dying breath, through the most challenging of situations. We're gonna finish with this, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, the word in the Greek is makarios, which means supremely happy. (laughs) Supremely happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. (laughs) That that, that doesn't match, does it, guys? This is like what we call the upside-down kingdom, where the least is the greatest, the servant is the chief of all. What? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus takes the lowest place and he's actually the greatest. And so what God wants to teach us to do is to see life through his lenses, through his mentality. We will recognize that sufferings, difficulties, tribulations and trials are an opportunity to grow closer to him, to know him better and to be shaped and formed into his image. Father, You must do this work inside of us to change our thinking, to change the way we live, to change the way we act. Lord, just like in Acts 4, I pray that you would shake this building, that you would fill us with the spirit of boldness. Lord, remove the cowardice. Override it with your spirit of boldness. Trumpet with the power of Jesus Christ within us. May we be like those Christians in the communist nations that even though their lives would hang in the balance if they would speak, if they would share, they were compelled. They could not keep it in because of the love they had for you and for others. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8:15 a.m. and weekends at 9:15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.